I'm Ruma Tenbrink, and welcome to the Children's Bedtime Stories podcast for adults. I am so excited to be reading to you my first book this evening. I really hope you enjoy this, and I hope it helps you fall asleep in a beautiful slumber and take you to a faraway land. Thank you so, so much for listening. World-renowned musician, environmentalist, and humanitarian, Dave Matthews, in collaboration with popular children's book author Cleet Barrett-Smith, has conjured an exciting and poignant fantasy about a girl who must confront her past mistakes before she can save her peaceful forest community from a gigantic threat. I am honored to read to you, If We Were Giants, Little Voices Can Have a Huge Impact. Let joy begin as we read part one, The Volcano. Part 1. The Volcano. Chapter 2. The annual storytelling contest in Luqui was held at the end of summer to celebrate a successful hunting season and harvest. The hard work of collecting food was done, and the whole village took a break before the labor of salting meat, preserving fruit, and storing grain for the winter was begun. As everyone congregated in the huge common area in the center of the village, more people than Kira had ever seen in one spot. She watched vendors push their way through the crowd, peddling roasted meat on sticks and bags of honeyed nuts. Parents bounced toddlers on their knees, while clusters of friends drank deeply from wooden cups. Children close to Kira's age marked the perimeter of the storyteller's circle crammed shoulder to shoulder in the front row, leaning forward in eager anticipation. Kira watched from her vantage point at the rear of the crowd, where she had made a perch by piling up the blankets in the cart so she could see over the heads of the grown-ups. Taro was off preparing for the contest, and there was absolutely no need for him to know that Kira was working her way through a third bag of the delicious nuts. She sighed as she watched the huddled children jostling one another to get the position with the best view. Kira wanted so badly to get right down in their jumbled ranks and join in the conversations, but she was under strict orders when she and Taro encountered people outside. It was her job to be forgettable, not to make friends. The only bad part about being her Paja's helper was that she had to hide everything that made her Kira in order to be Kala, the volcano man's right hand. She didn't even like Kala. He was dull and unimaginative and kept to himself, while Kira wanted to laugh and explore and connect. Kira sighed again. Someday Taro would trust her to keep the secrets of the Zidu. 
She just wanted that someday to hurry up and get here. At last, the waiting for the celebration was almost done. As dusk settled over the village, one of the elders waded through the mob and stepped into the storyteller's circle, carrying a torch. He bent over and touched it to the dried leaves and logs piled in the fire pit. Soon the faces of the children in the front row were glowing in the light of the dancing flames as the first storyteller entered the circle and began. As this was the fourth contest in as many villages that Kira had witnessed, she knew how it worked. The schedule was rigged so that the beginner tail spinners went first, and each person who came after had more experience, so the stories got better and better as the night wore on. As they all came from neighboring villages, the accents varied a bit, and some of the words, especially slang, were unfamiliar due to regional dialects but she could mostly follow everything that everyone was saying. Besides, as her father had told her many times, it's not what you say, but how you say it that really matters. As Kira sat atop the cart and munched on her snacks, she heard tales of romance and adventure and exploring. There were stories about traveling priestesses and talking animals and giant warriors and ships that could rise up from the ocean and sail among the stars. And always saved for the grand finale was the Volcano Man. Kira felt a familiar surge of pride as she watched her father make his way to the center of the circle, but also a bundle of nerves buzzing in her stomach, because someday that would be her down there with every stranger's eye trained on her expectantly. The crowd went completely quiet as Taro stood in the center of the circle. He turned slowly, his good eye boring into the mob, letting the silence stretch out until Kira thought she was going to burst. Finally, he began by tapping his cane on the ground, softly at first, and then more and more insistently. Underneath your feet, he rasped, right now. Beneath this very village, there lives an army of angry fire demons. Taro traced a circle around the perimeter of the storytelling space, rhythmically thumping his cane just a few inches from the wide-eyed kids in the front row. It is in the demon's nature to burn, to consume, to destroy. Anything they can get their hands on becomes a charred and black nothing. Your beautiful home your most cherished possessions. Taro leaned forward, scowling, and stage whispered into the face of a young girl, even your loved ones. Taro resumed his pacing, and they can hear you down there, you know. Oh, aye, they can hear you very well. The pounding of your footsteps keeps them constantly awake and agitated, fueling to their rage. So you would do well to remember this. Every time you bounce a ball, or play a game of tag, or enjoy yourself at a village dance, you are only stoking the demon's unquenchable desire for vengeance. Trust me, good people of Luqui, each one of those demons would like nothing better than to escape from their underground prison. Taro crept closer to the crowd, and take their red-hot claws. Closer now, 
and grab you. Here, Taro lunged at the nearest boy in the front row, thumping him in the chest with that cane. The boy screamed and scrambled backward to the laughter and jeers of his surrounding friends. Taro fixed one of those giggling youngsters with a stare. Then they would drag you underground and slowly roast you alive. The boy's smirk faded as the flickering shadows played across Taro's scowling face. Paja then launched into the backstory of these hideous creatures, how they used to be a proud race who lived above ground, just like the people of this very village. But they displeased the gods so greatly with their greedy and violent ways that they were turned into fire demons and trapped underground for thousands of years. But Kira was only half listening to this part, which she knew by heart. Instead, she studied the faces of the villagers. She loved how everyone, not just the kids, but also the adults, throughout the crowd, reacted to Taro's words, glancing uneasily at the ground, eyes growing wide, sharing a meaningful look with their neighbor, gasping in surprise. Taro had all of them on an invisible leash and was leading them right where he wanted them to go, just like always. When Taro bent down to scoop up a handful of dirt, she started paying attention to him again. Her favorite part was coming up. And so, at the end of the day, what is protecting any of us? Taro looked at his fist, where he was letting the dust sift through his fingers to blow away on the breeze. A few feet of dirt. Just a thin crust between you and the legion of powerful, supernatural creatures that want nothing more than to destroy you and everyone you know. Taro was quiet for several moments, letting that threat sink in. When he spoke again, it was nearly a whisper, and the entire village had to lean in to hear. But there are certain places, my friends, places too frightening even to think about, places where the fire demons are able to escape their underground prison and come out into the light of day. Taro fell silent once again, and Kira could hear the word as it was passed through the crowd in hushed tones. Volcanoes. I have traveled far, and I have seen these spaces where the fire demons have beaten so hard against the roof of their prison that great cracks in the land have opened right up. Taro shook his head sadly. The gods have tried to help. They build great mountains on top of these earth scars, attempting to keep a lid on the boiling cauldron of malevolence that threatens us all. Another dramatic pause. Kira studied his technique. What Taro was doing to get the timing just right, because she could practically feel the entire assembly holding their collective breath for the next part. Her father sighed heavily, but even the gods have their limitations, my friends, and the seething hatred of the fire demons is so potent, sometimes nothing can be done to keep it from the bubbling over and scorching the land. Whoosh! The bonfire exploded, the flames leaping twenty, thirty, forty feet in the air. 
The entire village circle was made bright as noon for a moment, and Kira could feel the flash of heat on her face, even though she was way in the back. People screamed and covered their eyes, then laughed nervously at the reactions of their neighbors. Kira knew that Taro had slipped a hand into his cloak during the build-up to the big moment, gathered a handful of highly flammable powder, and tossed it into the fire while he was gesturing during his story. She also knew he was now preparing for his next trick. What happens then is more destructive than anything you have ever seen, nay, anything you have ever imagined. For when the chaos of the underworld is unleashed, nothing can stand in its path. Why, the heat gets so intense. Taro paused and snatched up a smallish rock from the ground. The heat gets so intense. The very stones of the land melt and form puddles. As he was saying this, Taro's fist closed over the rock. A thick goo dripped through his fingers and splattered on the ground. The crowd gasped. Kira grinned. While the exploding bonfire was bigger and showier, she appreciated the melting rock trick more. First, you had to retrieve the packet of goo from your pocket and subtly cup it into your palm without anyone noticing. Then you had to send the rock sliding down your sleeve without making any unnatural movements. Finally, you had to time the dripping of the goo with the disappearance of the rock so they looked like one and the same. She had been practicing for six months and was just now getting to the point where she could pull off the trick. Well, kind of, with very small pebbles anyway. The flame races like a river cascading down the sides of the volcano and screaming across the fields. Taro resumed the narrative using hand gestures and sweeps of his cane to emphasize the power of the mighty volcano. There is no way to stop it. The entire village and everyone in it would simply be gone. Taro shook his head sadly. The only solution, my friends, is to stay far, far away from any volcano. Do not build anything you care about anywhere near its cursed base. And if you value your life, do not even go hiking near one of these blights on our land. A volcano is a dark place, my friends, a place where the gods have failed. Even though Taro altered the details of the fire demon's saga each year, the conclusion was always the same. A collective shiver went through the crowd at his final words, and all were silent as they watched her father, his head bowed reverently. Kira was confident that this had been another successful contest. The only thing left to do now was load up the cart with their winnings, sacks of grain, salted meats, and crop seeds, and start the trek homeward in the morning. Kira stretched her arms over her head and yawned. It would be good to get a few hours sleep before their journey. But what of the takers? someone yelled, shattering the silence. Will no one tell a story about them? Kira's head snapped back to the festival. No one ever interrupted the finale of a storytelling contest. 
she watched as a man jumped up from where he was, seated in the crowd, and marched right into the storyteller's circle. The style and color of his robes marked him as another outsider, a visitor from a neighboring village, perhaps. Taro backed away from the intruder, his eyes searching for Kira in the crowd. The newcomer pointed at Taro while he stared out at the assembled villagers. You would sit here and listen to fairy tales instead of a true warning? He shook his head. I don't have any fancy tricks. I can't make the fire dance up into the night sky or turn rocks into liquid. All I can do is relate what I have seen with my own eyes. Taro was still scanning the crowd, and Kira waved to him. Spotting her, he exited the circle and made his way through the crowd as quickly as he could, elbowing people roughly out of the way. Kira had never seen her father do anything like that. The takers, they came last year to the fishing village where I grew up, the strange man continued, arrived on great ships. We had never seen anything like them. The village elder who had lit the bonfire to start the festivities entered the circle, flanked by two strong men. The contest is over, my friend, he said, motioning for the newcomer to follow him out of the circle. But the new storyteller ignored them, facing the crowd and raising his voice. These takers, they are monstrous. In the space of just a few months, they had overrun my beloved village, enslaved my people. His voice shook with emotion. They took everything. I barely escaped. Kira scrunched up her eyebrows in confusion. What kind of a story was this? She scanned the faces of the crowd and could tell the villagers were thinking the same thing. Instead of the rapt expressions she'd seen during Taro's tales, she saw people glancing around at one another, looking a little nervous or uncomfortable. A few young children started crying. The village elder and his two strong friends closed in on the man, but he backed away, his voice frantic now. You must listen, the man cried. Please! I did not come here to entertain. I came to issue a warning. You must listen and you must act, all of you. Kira jumped in, surprised, when Taro grabbed her by the arm, so wrapped up in the ranting of the strange man that she had lost track of her father in the crowd. Gather your things, Taro said through clenched teeth. We're leaving. Now, Kira said, what about the prize? You know we don't need it. Now let's go. But we've never left this early. Now, Kira, Taro spoke in his sternest volcano man voice. There was no arguing with that. He started pulling the cart away before Kira had even jumped down from her perch. The man in the circle rushed to finish his tail before he was caught up and forcibly removed. I escaped to a village near here on the south side of the volcano, Nafalu. You must have heard of it. Near the waterfall, yes, the cliffs, a beautiful place. His voice rose to a shout, and I am here to tell you that a group of takers was spotted in the area just last month. They are spreading. Please hear me, good people. The takers have come. Don't listen to him. Taro's voice was a sheet of ice. The cart was nearly to the village gates, but Kira craned her neck to look back over her shoulder. 
The man was shouting now as he was being dragged away. You must not let the takers anywhere near here. You must be vigilant and protect yourselves, or your village will be the next to be taken.' 